It's time for JT the Brick. So we are open for business again, everybody. I had a dream that someday we'd have a flagship station with the cooperation of the team and the fans that stream globally. JT the Brick. Are we all on board with that? Because if you're not on board with this, you're going to have to enter a mental asylum. If you're not on board with this, it's going to drive you nuts. Jackpot, baby! And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you. Dave Ziegler, the GM, in a moment. We had him on last week, and he is speaking live at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. Right now, we'll get to that press conference, and we will play it live momentarily where all the Raider insiders are in attendance as he's talking about the draft. Coming up a week from tomorrow, welcome to the show. We're brought to you by Golden Entertainment. They own the Strat, Arizona Charlies, that beautiful entertainment center in Laughlin where you can see show 64. PTs and growing here in the Valley, a brand new one on Ann Road coming to town this week, so we're excited. PTs, they fuel the monologue. A lot to get to. Debo Samuels wants out of the 49ers. It's a big Raider topic. Raider Nation doesn't like the 49er empire. 49ers rip on the Raiders all the time. There is a problem up in Santa Clara, no longer San Francisco, Santa Clara, where one of the best players in the league wants out. That's not a good sign. And they don't even know what to do with Jimmy Garoppolo, who's a lot better than Trey Lance, who's never played, really, other than you know, have a couple of attempts in the regular season. So Niner talk a little bit today because Debo – is the biggest story in the NFL today. He asked for the uh, 49ers to trade him. Debo is out now liking. He's going on social media liking other teams. These guys are nuts. I mean, are these guys crazy? He's liking Cowboys who are like, come play with the star, and he likes that. And then you got a whole bunch of people. I guess they're jobs, young kids in the business. They, they sit in these headquarters of these sports companies and their bosses tell them, hey, man, uh, spend the next half hour finding out who Debo likes on Instagram and Twitter, and then we'll post it, and that's what we deal with now. Fred Bolitnikoff never went around and uh, looked at social media and see who liked him or not. You know, Joe Montana didn't take and scrub the 49ers off of his Twitter because Twitter wasn't around or Facebook when Steve Young was ready to play. I mean, these guys are crazy. Social media is making everybody crazy. I get off the air every night at 10 o'clock, and I get back in this seat around 11 a.m. A little bit before that, we might tape an interview for this show or night show because, you know, we try to get you these great guests, and some of them we got to fit in windows. People often ask me, JT, how do you prep for the show? Well, as long as I'm on the radio, I'm prepped. I was on the air till 10 last night. So believe me, nothing happened from 11 at night till 8 in the morning unless I wake up and there's breaking news. And from time to time, there is breaking news or something unique happens. But pretty much, it's the same thing. The Raiders are having one of the quietest off-seasons I could ever remember going on my 24th year with the team. There's nothing going on, which I find amazing, because I was living in the bubble of the John Gruden resignation, the John Gruden emails, the Henry Ruggs tragedy that killed Tina Tintor, Damon Arnett brandishing guns on Instagram, plus losses at home to the Washington now Commanders, the Chicago Bears. So I was living in that bubble, man. It never stopped. One week on a Thursday, I'm interviewing John Gruden, and the next Thursday, I'm interviewing Rich Passaccia in the building. So I love my job. I love talking Raiders. Raiders are stealth and it. They don't want gossip. They don't want anybody talking. Not that the other regime did either. You know, John Gruden, Mike Mayock, 
They didn't want to make news and noise, but news and noise happened. And it was a big part of the Raiders last year. And fortunately, they won 10 games. Now it's quiet. There's nothing going on other than what went on when they loaded up, absolutely loaded up with Chandler Jones, Devontae Adams, which they had to give up some draft equity. They re-signed Mad Max Crosby to an extension and Derek Carr. Let me repeat that. I have a list of everybody that they brought in right here in front of me. It's two pages. But the key was Chandler Jones, Devontae Adams, Max Crosby, Derek Carr, and I'll throw in Rocky Asin, the cornerback who's going to be a starter. And then a whole bunch of other moves that are unbelievable. Vernon Butler, Alex Bars, uh, Jonathan Hankins is back. You know, I look at all the players that they're bringing in. I like Matt Collins, the wide receiver. Everything's going great. So no Raider drama. Treat the draft like it's a party. Please do that. Please take it from me. I've lived out here a long time. I know Vegas well. Treat it like a party. Show up, wear black, be out on the strip, uh, be out by the link, represent the Raiders and have fun. Raider Nation, you should be having so much fun now. You should be buying Modellos, walking up and down the strip, hanging out with your friends, waving to the TV cameras, and loving what this franchise is doing. I'm not predicting a Super Bowl, but man, this offseason has been great absolutely outstanding other than the fact that many good people in the organization on the football side lost their job because there's a new regime coming in and that happens in sports all the time and we've wished every single person well that had an impact on my show on my life and they're going to go on to do great things but man it's a good time to be a Raider fan wouldn't you say and we'd like to get that vibe here on the channel here for and we always do, but have it more for the next week. Let's talk about where you're going to meet up. We got a remote at Caesars. I'll tell you about. Go see Q. Go see Vinny. Go see Clay. Find out where you're going to be. Let me know where you're going to be on the strip on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Black Holes having a big party. I hope to be at. Everybody's getting together to throw a party in Vegas. We're a party city. We're great at having big events. Are you going to be a part of it? Start telling us what you're going to do, where you're going to be, and how you're going to celebrate the Raider Nation. All right, let's go out to Henderson. Dave Ziegler, the new GM of the Silver and Black, addressing the media. My time to shine? Sir, let's do it. Okay. Um, before we get started, and I'll really dedicate, I'd say, most of the time today for your questions that you all have. Um, so we'll work through that. But the first thing I do want to say is uh, we're just really excited for the city of Las Vegas to be hosting this event. Um, you know, I think the, the city of Las Vegas is built for big-time events, whether it's the Super Bowl, whether it's the Pro Bowl, whether it's the draft, NCAA tournament, we'll take them all. Um, I think Vegas is, is built, you know, it's a city built for that. And so we're, we're just excited to have the draft here. It's good for the city. It's good for the community. And, um, you know, we're hopeful to, to have um, many more of these type events going forward, whether it's the draft or whether it's something else. So um, it's an exciting time for Las Vegas and for the community. Before we get going, it would be, um, I'd be remiss not to just recognize all the hard work of our staff here. You know, the, the, the one thing about the draft is this is a long, tedious process. Our guys are currently working on next year's draft right now our area scout so that process starts here 
um, you know, in the spring, and, and they'll continue to work on that process all the way um, up until, you know, next year around this time. So um, to um, recognize the, you know, and, there's, and I would say this, there's a lot of people involved in it, but, you know, first recognizing our college scouts, our area scouts, those guys are the ones that are on the road all year, away from their families, living out of hotels, traveling from school to school, digging on information. Like those are the guys that are on the ground floor uh, and they do a lot of the work and, and do a lot of things to set the table and they don't get a lot of recognition for it. Um, but our group has worked extremely hard. It's been great getting to know our group um, and developing relationships with some of the guys here. And so they deserve a ton of credit. Our pro staff, you don't obviously, you don't often think of the pro staff and the college staff, but our pro staff's also involved in some of the college scouting as we get prepared for the draft. You know, they're involved in studying the other teams and need, team needs and things of that nature. And our pro staff's done a great job uh, working through that process with us here in the spring. Uh, our scouting assistants who get no recognition, um, but, you know, in terms of the 30 visits, getting guys to the airport, shuffling guys back, you know, working with travel plans, like, you know, they're entry-level guys that put in a lot of work. They're trying to build their scouting resume, and, and they've been fantastic for us here um, throughout the spring also. Our video department, our operations department, our dining staff, player development, like these are all spokes in the wheel that help this process um, helps this process get it get it to a point where we feel comfortable with it um, whether it's hosting players and the meals that are prepared for when we're hosting players on 30 visits and things of that nature um, to our operations staff um, helping out with just the coordination of the local pro day of 30 visits of coaches travel of Josh's travel of my travel all those different types of things so there's so many people in the organization that um, don't get the recognition that they deserve but are, are integral parts in kind of this process so want to make sure that all those people are recognized and um, their work's appreciated it's good work uh, and it's been helpful to this process so that's what I have um, I'll open it up to you and get your questions answered here. Dave, kind of along those lines, uh, we're, we're getting back to normal in a lot of ways uh, post-COVID. Um, did, did you get that sense, you know, with the 30 visits and being able to have more interaction with the players uh, this year as opposed to maybe the last couple of years? Did you, are you sensing that? And mm -hmm. how much um, better off is that for you guys being able to have that element back in play? Yeah, I think the process this year felt, I'd say, back to, to normal. Of what it had been in the past just because the player access was there um, the face-to-face -face communication was there the one-on-one -on -one communication was there so I think that's it that provides um, a lot more value than um, the zoom calls and, and all that's beneficial too but I think we all know being able just to sit down and sit across from somebody and uh, get to know them and, and it's just more personal and with it being more personal you get a better feel for the player um, and the person and so I think it's been a lot more valuable because of that that one-on-one um, -on -one access and the one-on-one -on -one communication that we were able to have this year that we weren't able to have in the past. And then there was also more opportunities to see the players. There was more all-star game access, right? Um, more pro days. Uh, you, could, you could go out and, and do private workouts and meet people one-on-one -on -one in, in, in an athletic setting. And so, yeah, it was a lot, it was a, a lot better process, um, and I think it was helpful to be able to have that access this year compared to the last couple of years. Dave, as you said in your, your opening statement, you started the evaluation process for this draft class last year with the Patriots. Mm -hmm. Once you were hired here, how did you kind of approach resetting you know, your evaluation process to cater more towards what the Raiders need? Yeah, um, 
Well, I would say the first and foremost, there was a bit of a transition of coming here and just on how we're going to look at players here versus the lens and the scouting philosophy that we have now. And so there's an adjustment in that because part of that adjustment is teaching the philosophy, right? So you're not usually getting into this time of year and there's um, when you're when you've been at a place for a long time, there's not that educational teaching component that needs to take place. Now, we still have to do a lot more of that um, throughout post draft. You only have so much time, you know, you can dedicate to teaching and everything. So there was a there was an element of, of our scouts being assimilated into our scouting philosophy in terms of. Um, I would say in terms of like the focus and those types of things, um, we ended up just really taking a, you always do, but we took just a wide, I would say a wide lens view of, of the draft board. Forget, you know, the hierarchy of needs and this might be higher here than there. We just said, let's go through the whole thing because there's going to be a heavy learning component of talking the same language, how we look at different positions and things like that. So to answer your question more specifically, probably a broader focus just because we were learning a lot of things rather than saying, hey, we know that we want to go like these three areas are our top three priorities. Let's dig into there first. And I think, you know, when you've been at a place for a long time and your roster is a little um, and you have like that feel for your roster and you have the feel for your scouts, you may have a focused approach. But this was part of like a bigger picture, I'd say, professional development aspect to this approach this year than it's maybe different than what it would have been in New England. Yes, I was talking to another NFL exec who mentioned teams not having a first-round pick. There's a lot of them this year. It may not be as deep of a draft at the top, but he says it's a super deep draft going on with lots of good players. Do you share that analysis of this draft? Yeah, I think every draft has its own. You know, every draft is different. There's always different narratives. Like, and some of them are always the same. You know, each year. Like there's none of there's you know these there's these players don't exist or you know so on and so forth. But I would answer that question and say I do feel like there's good depth in this draft. Some positions are are deeper than others. Um, you know at the the top of the board and the top of the talent of the board. I I, I don't I don't know like um, I think there's you know there's there's good players in this draft and in that you could draft in the first round and you could draft in the second round you could draft in the third round whatever. But so at the end of the day I, I think the depth of this draft is strong. What are some of the criteria that you look for when you're evaluating players? What's the criteria that we look for when we're evaluating players? I would say for us, a lot of it starts with the person. And so um, and we've talked about this kind of at different points, but I would say people that um, love football, you want people that are passionate about their jobs, right? We all want to work with those types of people. We, always, we all want to hire those types of people that are passionate about their work. So I think it starts there. Um, good people, good character traits, um, people that are willing to work with others, people that are selfless, people that are team oriented, like those are really important things for us. Um, football intelligence, um, is an important aspect for us. Um, and I think like, you know, uh, kind of on its core, people that love football, um, uh, people that are good teammates, um, uh, people that have good football intelligence, those all calculate into low maintenance individuals. And I think the more low-maintenance individuals that you have where you're not uh, um, expounding energy on, in those different areas and you can focus just on getting better and winning, um, I think those are really some of the core criteria for us when we start to talk about a player on whether that player is going to be a fit for the Raiders or not. 
forget about the talent and all those types of things. I think it has those areas have to make sense first, and then you graduate onto the skill set and the value and all those different types of things. How much is versatility important to you? It's um, versatility is is, is um, something that's highly important. The more you can do, the more positions you can play. Um, we know that the, it just incre- it just improves your depth. There's going to be injuries along the way during the season. So if you have a player that can fill in in multiple spots, um, that's that's just that's extra value. And so I think the more that you can do, the more we're going to allow you to do, and the more that um, you know we can allow you to do, just the, the more value you have for the club. Very short food? amount of time, obviously, but Devontae, in terms of assimilating himself in the building, how's that gone? Obviously. No first or second round, but I think you would take the the choice to have him obviously making the deal. Can you just talk about what you see from him in a short amount of time? Devontae is a worker, and he comes in with a purpose every day to get better. And so, you know, he's just a, a dialed-in person. That's like, you know, you walk in, right, and, and for him this is – this is something that he loves to do, but this is a business for him, and it's a and it's a job that he takes very seriously. And he comes in with that approach. I mean, this guy comes in with an approach to win the day and to get better individually. And it's a it's approach it's an approach that um, I think is really good for our young players to see. Um, this guy's highly accomplished. Um, he's been very productive in his career. There's a reason for all those things, and you kind of see that in his approach day to day. When you don't pick until the third round, do you look to fill a need with that pick, or are you a believer in best athlete available on your board? Yeah, well, I wouldn't necessarily say best athlete available, but I would say the the best player available. And again, that best player available, um, going back to the traits that I talked about, it's going to start there. Um, but to answer your question, we want the best available players, you know, regardless of position. Um, that's how we want to continue to build the team. I think if you're drafting good football players, you're making good choices. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, there's a lot of, you know, uh, I know a lot of people have talked about it. When you kind of overextend just to draft a need, um, you can often pass over good football players that can help your team. And I think that can be, uh, you know, a, a slippery slope if, you, if that's kind of the way you approach it. Fairly or unfairly, this organization's taken some heat in the draft in recent years. Uh, you kind of hear the joke, well, they don't have a first-round pick, but some of them haven't hit the way they've wanted to in the last 15 years or whatever anyway. I know that has nothing to do with you, and you guys don't have a first-round pick this year, but when you hear that, is there some competitive spirit from you going into the draft, wanting to be the guy to, to, to turn around kind of the reputation of what the Raiders have done in the draft? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the competitive spirit part is, right, you're judged um, on the personnel side by uh, the players that you draft and how how well they produce and the types of players that they turn into for the organization. And so there's a competitive aspect of wanting to draft players. You want every single draft pick and every single player that you sign, you want that player to produce and overproduce. Um, in an ideal situation. And so there's a competitive aspect of that. Yeah, we want to have a great draft. We want to be um, sure you want to be known as a team that um, drafts well and that develops, you know, develops talent and all those types of things. Um, Whatever round that is, um, we want to make sure that we're able to do that. There's typically, you know, conversations that are happening between you and some of your colleagues around the league. Um, And in terms of being aggressive, whether it's moving up or flexible moving down, based on any conversations, do you feel like, you know, if the situation arises one way or another, there's deals to be made out there. Yeah, I think there's always those opportunities always exist. Um, some teams are, you know, you can look at some of the statistics of teams that are more willing to trade. 
Um, some teams are more willing to trade uh, up. Some teams are more willing to trade back. There's some teams, you look at their draft day history, um, they're not willing to trade at all. And so, you know, we, we go through all that, we go through all that, that data, one, to understand what some of the trends are of certain regimes. Um, but we also work through those conversations and um, we're always going to be open to, um, if there's a deal to, um, to be made that's going to benefit the Raiders, whether it's moving up in the draft, whether it's moving back in the draft, those are always things that we're going to be open to and entertain if we ultimately think it's going to you know, be a, a, a good decision for us to add a good football player. Any chance of a last-minute trade before the draft? Always a chance. Yeah, always a chance for a trade. Dave, is it, be, is it kind of becoming alarming that, that it, it, you know, general managers are, are upper brass of different franchises when players are under contract demand trades or they're not happy, they don't show up for this or that? I mean, is it becoming kind of a a concern, an alarming concern, or, and you obviously know who I'm talking about, different players recently that just, I don't want to do this, I want to do that, I demand to get out of here, I'm uncomfortable with this, and yet they're under contract or whatever to play for a franchise. Is it, is it becoming kind of alarming? Yeah, I don't know if it's, a, I, don't, I wouldn't use the word alarming. I think there's always been, you know, maybe now it's a, there's, um, you know, um, there's more of a, you have a, more of a voice to express those things because of social media and things, things of that nature. The, the NFL is, you know, now it's right. You guys covered, it's covered 365 days a year. Now the NFL, I, I know once upon a time, you know, you covered it for the football season and then you, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't much to write about in the off season and, and the NFL as a business has grown and as an entertainment industry has grown. And so I think there's more opportunities. It's followed more. So there's more opportunities for people to express their opinion. I think those opinions maybe were always there. They just, you know, there wasn't an avenue to always express those things. And so, um, you know, what other teams, you know, what other teams have going on and, and um, you know, what those environments are and what those situations are, I'm not really familiar with. So I'm just focused on, you know, what we have going on here with the Raiders. We're really excited about what's um, been going on here the last couple of weeks as players have been in the building and um, just the players' willingness to work and, and, and uh, the players that have been here have been getting better and, and that's what we're excited about. I guess that goes... a guy that's probably, you know, played his way into a, a second contract or a pay raise. Um, how are things going on along those lines? And uh, it appears like he's somebody that you guys want to be able to keep here and be a focal point of this operation. A very talented player. Uh, you know, I've been asked about him uh, in the past, and um, he's just he's uh, a gritty guy, uh, knows how to get open, knows how to win on third down, has some return experience, um, is good after the catch. So he has um, Hunter's a good football player um, and has a good, a lot of good elements that um, allow him to be successful on Sundays, which is, you know, which is important. And he's a young player. Um, so um, like I've said before, you know, when we talked about, uh, I think it was Derek at the owner's meeting, you know, relative to contracts and things like that, like we're always going to keep those things in house and, and, and keep those discussions private. You know, Hunter's going to be no different in that regard, but we're excited that he's on the team. Um, we love good receivers and, you know, he's one of them. When it comes to the evaluation process, I know it's different in pretty much with every team, but how much collaboration is there between the coaching staff and the player personnel staff? Yeah, um, it, there, there's, there's, there is caliber. We do collab in terms of the coaching staff and the scouting staff um, throughout the draft process. I think it's important to understand you know, the, the coaches' views on players, just as it's important to understand the scouts' views on players. Um, I think one of the most important parts of that process is not just all the agreement that goes on, but is when you have some guys that you see, I'd say, significantly different. 
I'd say those are the, to me, those are the exciting opportunities, not only for growth as a staff, scouting staff and as a coaching staff, but um, they're the, the, those are the opportunities where you know you have some work to do to get the player right. Um, so I think those are, those are really good learning opportunities for us. But, um, you know, we, we want to make sure that we have open dialogue with our coaches. We really work hand in hand um, with our coaching staff throughout the draft process. I mean, they also have, right, there's, there's a time of year where their players are in the building. Um, so they're working on, you know, um, meeting with the players. They're working on scheme. They're working on installs throughout the spring. So they can't be as heavily involved as the scouting staff is. Um, that's our job to do it. But um, in terms of getting them involved at different parts of the process, um, that's something that we do and something that we think is valuable. And here, that is Dave Ziegler, who's going long. This is great. He had a lot to say there. Happy we're able to get it here in the monologue on the flagship Raider Nation Radio as he's still talking. And I like what he has to say about the quality of player they're looking for, the type of player that they're looking for, the grinder the person that loves football, you often hear that. Every GM is going to say that, but he's getting to know the organization and these players who are coming in the building every day and wanting to get off-season work in, and he's evaluating still the roster. Could a trade be possible? He said possible. You know, that question, does it really need, does it really need to be asked? Is there a trade possible? Of course there's a trade possible, but could there be a blockbuster trade where they move up into the first or second round? You don't need a blockbuster to move into the second round but as I've said, and I haven't predicted it yet, but we'll see what happens next week, I believe that the Raiders have players on this roster that they'd like to move. That they'd like to move, that players who will not be optioned for the future, players who have had their opportunity here, they're not going to work long term, but they're not able to move them for whatever reason. They might be able to make a move heading into the draft. There's a lot of that going on. I mentioned Debo Samuel today with the 49ers. We'll talk about that later with Damon Bruce from 95-7 the game in San Francisco about that scenario and what's going on with him. All of a sudden, the team wants Debo Samuel now. It's not a first-round pick, probably not a second. got to pay him. Remember, if you're going to trade for Debo, you got to give something up, and then you got to bring him in and pay him and give him a new contract and extend him. Complicated times, but I like Dave Ziegler. He was great to us last week. Been listening to me on the radio for a long time, and hopefully that relationship will have an open conversation with him often on the radio here former Raider quarterback Marcus Tuiasosopo his draft story coming up next he's a coach now with Rice looking forward to catching up on the flagship of the Raiders This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. Well, here we go on third and goal. Jacobs is a running back. Motion is Renfro. Looking at Renfro, fires to him. Touchdown! Jackpot, baby! Renfro went in motion, and Carr wanted him all the way. It was the only receiver. Derek Carr even looked at. Yeah, there he is. And you just heard Vinny Bonsignor ask uh, Dave Ziegler a question. I believe they asked him about Hunter Renfro, who's a grinder, and another guy who gets open and does everything he's supposed to do. So we are ready to roll. Marcus Tuiasosopo is supposed to join us here, coming up here in a little bit. If you have any comments 
about what Dave Ziegler said and what this team should do. We're in that window now, everybody, where I'm, I'm kind of looking for your opinions on what the Raiders should do in the draft. Now I need it. Now I'm looking for it. want to hear what the Raider Nation has to say on this topic. So let us know, and uh, let's get a vibe from you on what they need to do as we wait for Marcus to come up here. And we get rolling at 702-365-9200. Wow, what a surprise. Stoner dude on 420 in Vegas. What's happening, Stoner dude? Happy 420, JT. Happy 420, Bobby Machado. To Mark Davis and, of course, all the uh, Raider staff and players and all the nation out there, the Raider nation. Hey, JT, I, you know what? When it comes to uh, Ziegler, I have to say, I'll be honest, at the beginning when all this uh, transition came on, I mean, I'm still, I'll be, I'm still upset about how the NFL screwed John Gruden. I'm still upset about the tuck rule, you know. So, But the bottom line, you know, everyone's talking about the Patriot way and the Raider way. I'm just looking for the Raider way. I know no matter what, if you're, if you're with the Raiders, you're going to make and create and help be part of the Raider way. You're going to learn about the tradition. And you're going to learn about the history. And you're going to help make the future because Al Davis always said the greatness of the Raiders is in the past, present, and the future. So having said that, I certainly uh, warmed up a lot to Dave Ziegler. You think about all the great moves they've made, Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones. I'm still looking to see that defense build up a little, JT, because I think the only way we're going to really go out there and make a real serious playoff run and look like a contender is if we have a top-ten defense to go with that offense. But having said that, JT, it's time for the NFL draft. And, yes, I would be playing with my drums with my band Raiderhead, the world's only Raider tribute band, at the Tropicana Live for the Black Hole Draft Party. That's where I'll be on that weekend. Of course, walking around the Strip the rest of the weekend. And I sure hope to see you out there. I know I'll be following you around at your remotes as well, okay. too, JT. Thanks for Thanks, having me on today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And I like what Dave Ziegler has to say. Again, Dave Ziegler's the new GM of the team. He's introducing himself to the Raider Nation. He's working, and they've had a banner offseason Now he's getting ready for the draft with a third-round pick. It's a pleasure, as we look back at the history of the Raider draft, to have Marcus Tuiatisopo joining us, 2001, second round, the 59th pick overall, and now he's a coach. Marcus, thanks for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for coming on the flagship. How are you? I'm doing great, JT. Thanks for having me. Man, anytime, man. Raider Nation, baby, let's go. Absolutely. Tell me what it's like now to get everybody up to speed with your coaching and what you're doing, where you're at in season now, and your passion. All right, sounds good. Well, I'm at uh, I'm out here in Houston, Texas, at Rice University as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. And I've been here for a year. Last year was my first year. Um, before that, I've been coaching in the Pac-12 at four different schools uh, previous 10 years. So just uh, coaching and helping young men achieve their dreams and and have a chance to call it now and uh, and really just uh, having a blast with it. And it seems like this is a this is a, a team that's been making strides over the last couple of years. What's been the success for you in the recruiting process as you can recruit California, you can recruit the whole country with your name and your quarterback playing, your coaching prowess? What's changed with the program since you got there? Yeah, you know, we, we, we missed an opportunity last year. I mean, we had two overtime games go uh, the mm-hmm. other way. Else, we've been to a bowl game, which has been, I think, the first time that Rice has been to a bowl game in, in several years. And so, you know, we're on that grind. Our head coach Mike Bloomgren took over the program. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think it had won maybe one game. And so, we're certainly on our way up. We got some some good kids, and uh, yeah, just uh, recruiting. Um, you know, having 
recruit national here at, at Rice, being that it's a, a great academic institution yes. uh, and, and, a, and a great you know, major metropolitan city, city as Houston. So, uh, you know, I just think a little bit of my background, chance for young men to, to learn from my experience and the and the guys that I was able to learn the game of football from at the highest level there, especially at the, my time at the Raiders there. Um, it's something that really interests uh, the young guys that I get to uh, recruit and, and coach. And so that uh, that definitely helps out a lot. But, uh, yeah, man, it's just uh, there's a lot to sell down here, and um, and I think it's uh, we're on our way up. Yeah, no doubt about it. You got a great career as a coach in front of you. Marcus Tuiasasopo joins us. I want to go back to your draft story, and the reason we wanted to have you on is because you are a unique story. I remember you were selected to be a baseball player in the 1997 MLB draft by the Twins. You played college football instead, had a banner college football career, Pac-10 Offensive Player of the Year in 2000, the Rose Bowl MVP, which I'll get to. What was the early decision for you on baseball and football? Well, it actually goes back to, like you said, back in 1997. Uh, you know, shoot, I got drafted by the Twins, and I also had the opportunity to play in some all-star baseball games. And I remember I remember talking to my dad, and I almost decided just to play baseball altogether and not play football and, and take a scholarship to ASU. Their head coach at the time was Pat Murphy, and he was one of the best in college and uh, had, a, had a buddy that was down there already. And so I almost didn't even play football, but it was really the love of, the position of quarterback and um you know that was always a, kind of a dream of mine and that kind of went over and and so you know i was able i actually signed at the university of washington to play both uh and then after my freshman fall camp and winning the backup job and our head coach jim limbright at the time was like mm-hmm. i know we told you you could play both but if you want to play football and be serious about it you can't play baseball anymore you're the backup qb you better learn what you know what's going on and how to play at this level and so uh that that's kind of how it happened, and uh, you know, four years there, and Rose Bowl, and and whatnot, and you know, having a chance to live a dream, thanks to Mr. Davis and John Gruden, get drafted by the Raiders, and so uh, I, I can't complain. Yeah, it's really a great story. When Rick Neuheisel came in and replaced Lambright, what impact did that have on him? Really good coach, former quarterback, and offensive mind, highly respected because. You became the first player in uh, college football history to pass for over 300 yards and run for over 200 yards in a game. So your development there in college was really important on the road to getting drafted by Mr. Davis. Yeah, I think with Coach Neuheisel, was just the fact that you know he, you know he believed in me. It, interesting too, but it was I had like three schools I was really looking at in Colorado, where Rick Neuheisel was the coach before Washington, before he coached me there. That's where he was and. When I was in high school, we ran like the wing T, the single wing, kind of like what you you know the Air Force Academy to run, and so we didn't throw it very much. I mean, I threw the football sixty times my whole senior year. I mean, nowadays kids throw that in one game, and so Rick was actually like, "Hey, I can't bring you down, and truthfully tell you, you'll play quarterback. I know I want you to play defense for me." And uh, and he had a relationship with my dad, being they're both UCLA Bruins, and so he he was truthful to me then. So fast forward two years when he became our head coach, I was like, "Oh crap, I gotta, I gotta win the job again." So I think part of that was, uh, it was a good thing for me just to keep you know a little fire underneath my tail there. But uh, but then I think he just really saw um, you know my ability to lead and that you know I had the ability to use my legs and my arm at the same time. So uh, my development, there's a huge part of, uh, of my development was Rick believing me as a head coach and 
and he brought uh, two great coaches in to help develop me in, Keith Gilbertson and Steve Axman. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I owe, you know, obviously Jim Lambrecht a ton, but I also owe Coach Newhazel as well. So um, uh, that, it, it, it made it a great experience for me. Absolutely, Marcus Tuiatsosopo. So take me back to draft day, because as I say to all these former players, you could have been drafted 57 or 62 or 70 or 49, and you're not a Raider. What did you What did you expect coming in to the second round? Did you think you'd go higher? And what was it like as you were waiting for that phone call? It was it's an interesting uh, ordeal. You know, you have your, you have your career, and then. You know, you have you know all these agents are trying to come talk to you and, and and have you sign with them, and you know everyone has all this information, and, and you're not sure what to believe or what to go on. So you just keep working hard. You try to present yourself well when when you're training, or you know you're in meetings with these teams, or at the combine, or when they come you know train you at your school. And so, uh, you know, I think there was the gamut. You know, I was an athlete, and obviously. Um, was able to use my legs, and some people say I was maybe five to seven years before my time. You know, and, uh, especially how football went. You know, after I left, but um, so you know, I didn't know. I mean, there's, there were some people say, hey, yeah, you could be a late first to all the way, you know, to a fourth or fifth round pick, uh, and you know, up until the the draft day. I didn't really have too much conversation with the Raiders except for uh, one time at the combine when I was going from one part of the combine to the other. I can't remember what I was doing if I was going from the the, the test one the test to the to, uh, you know, where I was gonna get looked at by all the trainers and mm-hmm. and then Mark Tressman and David Shaw just pulled me out of the line and said, sit down and all right, I want you to repeat something after just repeat whatever I say. So literally it was like two minutes and it just spit out these long West Coast uh, plays and um, you know, to be honest with you, I can't remember if I repeated it back right or not, but I guess it went well because I was able to uh, re- repeat most of it back. But that was really all the conversation that I had with the Raiders up until that point. So um, either they were they did a good job of, of hiding me or hiding their thoughts about me, or it, you know it came late, which you know I don't know. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I, I didn't have any clue. You know, I was sitting at the uh, University of Washington. My little brother was playing football there, and so. They were actually had their spring game the day of the draft, and so I was up at Husky Stadium and the Don James Center watching it and watching the draft on TV, looking up the window, watching my brother, and just kind of that 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 made the time pass a little easier. And, and I got a call, uh, like you said, uh, right around that uh, 59 pick, and um, I believe it was uh, Fudgy was the secretary at the time, mm, sure. and she said, "Hey, I got Coach uh, Gruden wants to talk to you," and uh, he got on and said, "Hey." Do you want to be a Raider? I was like, absolutely. <laughs> Marcus, so that's, that's, that's kind of my story. Yeah, Marcus Tuiasasopo is our guest. So you were at the Raiders at a different, interesting time, 2001 to 2006 through the Raiders on the verge of the playoffs. They get in the playoffs, the AFC Championship game, the Super Bowl. You're a backup to Gannon. And then after the Super Bowl, you know, the team starts going in the other direction. I mean, you had a front row seat. You were a big part of this team. These are your brothers for life. When you look back at that era, you were when you were with the Raiders. There was a lot happening, a lot of highs and some lows. Then, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my first few years, if you go to the playoffs and you're in the Super Bowl, uh, you know, playing with a lot of veterans, so I had the opportunity to to see, you know, what it, 
what it takes to be a pro, um, to learn from their experience and, and, and be around men and take, you know, take the game seriously and, and whatnot. So that those first two years were just an unbelievable experience there. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate that there was, there was a string of years there where, you know, just didn't work out, you know, and that happens there's cycles in all organizations. And unfortunately for, for me, you know, that was, that was part of my, my, my path. But, uh, um, you know, I, I look back at those times and, uh, and just, even though, um, some of those lows are pretty low to be an NFL player and, and be in the locker room and, and, and playing football, uh, for a living, I mean, and like I said earlier, you get a chance to, to live a dream. And, you know, I wish it would have turned out better at times for me as, as a player, but that's, you know, that's how, how it went. But, uh, man, I'm so grateful for so many guys. I mean, Rich Gannon, uh, guys that took me on the wing, Tyrone Wheatley, uh, mm-hmm. Rick Meyer. There's so many guys, Terry Collins, um, who were just outstanding uh, to me. And, um, and, and a lot of guys that are actually still with the organization that every now and then we still connect. It's just, uh, you know, a lot of friendships were, were made, and um, you know, to be part of the Raider organization and, and be, a, be, a, be a Raider for life, I'll, I'll, I'll forever be grateful. Like I said, to Mr. Davis and, and, and Coach Gruden for for drafting me. Well, I'm uh, privileged to know you. After all these years, I was there before you got there. I'm here now, still, and I love when you come back. And the alumni team thinks so highly of you. I know you're coaching now, and you're busy, and you're doing a hell of a job as an offensive coordinator. Do you plan on getting out to Vegas and catching a game if your schedule permits? We hope we see you out here. Uh, I'd love to. I, I gotta gotta bring my boys out. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, we play during the same time, so yeah. Uh, there was a couple times, you know, we, we have a bye week and it works. I definitely will uh, be out there, but uh, I'm rooting from afar. Uh, I'm so excited about the direction of the organization now, and I'm so fired up that uh, you know Derek Carr is being brought back and. I'm excited about uh, what he's going to do next year with along with his teammates. Thank you, Marcus. Continued success. We're really pulling for you. you got a great career in front of you, and all the best over there at Rice, and uh, we'll have you on again. Appreciate it. It's any time, man. For you, brother. Thanks, bud. You got it. Marcus Tuiasasopo. Nice guy. Wow. Once a Raider, always a Raider. I hope you're enjoying these interviews as we've had several players from every decade. Fabian Washington coming in. We had Stuart Swigert next week. Uh, Live from the Raiders draft party, I'll have Tim Brown and Charles Woodson who will be joining us. How big is that? So, I mean, we're pushing forward on this and really appreciate it. Marcus played with the Raiders at a time where, again, he came into the league, went to the playoffs his first year, and he went to the Super Bowl his second year, and he was a backup. And he learned a lot under Rich Gannon. He was a backup to Kerry Collins. And he had a couple of chances to play, and he played well in a couple of spot starts there here, but... You know, he came into a unique situation with the Raiders. He was not going to play. Wasn't going to play behind those guys. And then when he had to come in, he was a great teammate. Very important to Mr. Davis and the organization. The stability of Marcus as a leader, as a mentor to others. And now he's got a really good, I was looking at his coaching resume at Washington. He was a grad assistant at UCLA, uh, USC. He was the associate head coach and tight ends coach. When you look at what he's been able to do, quarterback coach, at UCLA, tight ends coach at Cal, and now the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach at Rice. I think I could say safely that Marquez Tuiasosopo has a chance to be a head coach in the NFL at some point. A head coach in college first because he's right there on the doorstep. 
and then hopefully an opportunity in the NFL. Really cool to catch up with him after Dave's, Dave Ziegler's presser that we just took. As we're brought to you by Modelo. Modelo, we have a big event coming up with them next week. We are finalizing it. I'll tell you about that tomorrow. The official cerveza of the Las Vegas Raiders. You know how big Modelo is to me. I have my bucket of Modelo's every Friday. And you know how big Modelo is? They got big signage on the strip. They're a big part of the draft and our proud partner. More than a week ago, Debo Samuel, one of the San Francisco 49ers' standout weapons, requested a trade. This is something the 49ers have been aware of, uh, and they have wanted to make inroads on a long-term extension with Debo Samuel, want to make him one of the higher-paid receivers in the NFL. He has just been, as of now, unwilling to accept or engage in any offer or any discussion. And the reason for that, uh, from my understanding, is He simply wants to be elsewhere. And there are some questions and frustration from his standpoint about his usage. And he really is, he's a top receiver. He also takes a lot of hits, used like a running back, put all over the field. And it just does not sound like he is comfortable as of right now with the way he is being used. I'm not sure at this point the 49ers are going to trade him. We'll see what they end up doing. They don't have to. They also don't pick until late in the second round. So potentially, if they want a first-round pick, this would be a pretty good way to get one in. Wow. Debo Samuel. Turn it up, Bobby. We're talking Bay Area today. Damon Bruce, who's an opinionated sports talk host and a longtime friend on this topic coming up at the top of the hour. Mike North will join us, one of the great radio hosts of all time, next hour on the draft and some of the other big topics today. So Debo Samuel, the Raiders shouldn't have any interest in him. They have Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, Devontae Adams, Demarcus Robinson. They brought in everybody. So this would have been a fit if Devontae, listen, if Devontae wasn't available and Devontae said, hey, I'm going to stay in Green Bay, which could have easily happened. He's playing with Aaron Rodgers on a team that was going to go to the playoffs easily again. And the Raiders end up getting Devontae. Debo would have been a great fit for the Raiders, but they have someone who's actually better. Now, what was very unique about what Ian Rappaport just said, is that maybe Debo doesn't like the way they used him. I love the way they used him because I'm just a fan of football on TV. They lined him up at running back. They lined him up in the slot on the outside in motion. Every time the guy touched the ball, he looked like a freight train coming around the edge. I remember there were a few games that Debo was playing in that I said, oh my God. This guy could be the most unique weapon in the league. I mean, Cooper Cup had the triple crown of wide receivers last year, so it's tough if anybody will have that. But he had a breakout season, Debo, in 2021. And basically, he scrubbed all the mentions of the Niners on his Instagram account. And there's a lot more to be said about this. His trade request comes at a time when salaries for wide receivers has exploded because of Devontae Adams. $28.5 $28.5 million per season on that extension. And then Tyreek Hill got one for $30 million. So he deserves to be paid. He doesn't deserve Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill money yet. Stephon Diggs, possibly. So we're going to see what happens now with Kyle Shanahan and what's going to happen with Kyle Shanahan. Like Raider fans, some don't like Mike Shanahan, obviously. 
Mark Davis brought Mike Shanahan back in during a consulting time. I know Mike all the years. I did my show from Tahoe at the American Century. So I go back with the father, Mike Shanahan. And with Kyle Shanahan, I've said Kyle Shanahan is one of the most cocky people I've ever seen in sports. He walks around like he walks on water. He's a good play caller. You know, he's in that tree with a lot of guys who coached underneath Coach Gruden and coached in other spots along the way. But he acts like he's won two or three Super Bowls, and he's the architect of the collapse of the Atlanta Falcons when they were up 28-3 to on Tom Brady and lost. If Kyle Shanahan has to play Trey Lance and doesn't have Debo, the Niners are going nowhere. That's a huge topic. We'll lead with that with Damon Bruce. Next hour, also Mike North. Going to be a big one.